Welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Jim Hemphill, Features Writer for Craft and Special Projects at IndieWire. Today my guest is Chad Stahelski, the director of all the John Wick movies, including the latest and, in my opinion, greatest installment, John Wick Chapter 4. Chad began his career as a stuntman, stunt coordinator, and second unit director, and the skills he acquired in those roles are certainly evident in John Wick's expert action choreography. But Stahelski is more than just a great stager of action. He's a total filmmaker whose movies make the most of light, color, movement, architecture, editing, and music to create some of the most exhilarating entertainments since the heyday of MGM musicals, films that Chad explicitly acknowledges as influences in today's interview. At nearly three hours long, John Wick Chapter 4 is the most ambitious film in the series, as well as the most thematically rich. If the first John Wick was Stahelski's A Fistful of Dollars, this new one is his Once Upon a Time in the West, or his Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Chad and I talked about the influence not only of those films and those MGM musicals, but of Bertolucci, Wong Kar Wai, and Bob Fosse on his work, as well as about the importance of prep, how to pace and shape an action movie, and a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So I've heard you talk about Sergio Leone and his influence on you. And one of the things I loved about John Wick Chapter 4 is, to me, it felt almost like it had the same relationship to the other John Wick movies that Good, the Bad, and the Ugly has to the earlier Man with No Name. dollars and... Yeah, in terms of just the sort of leap in terms of ambition and scale Mm -hmm. and sort of philosophical heft. And I'm curious, in terms of conceptualizing this movie, does it start with you saying, oh, I want to make it you know, the John Wick epic, or is that something that kind of grows organically out of the discussions you're having? It kind of grows. I think if you let it, you know you have to do something, not know, but like, you know, a very common question when I'm sitting here is, how do you exceed? How do you do bigger, better, stronger? How do you outdo yourself? Whatever. And we've never really thought that way. We just kind of go, okay, well, how can we do, you know, better? What do we learn from the last one? How do we do better? How do we help the world out? How do we help give the cast and the character something more to work with. And it, you kind of expand out story-wise by going, okay, what themes are you trying to do? As you can tell from the first three, we usually stay with Keanu. We stay with this character. We stay with John Wick. And, you know, as a first-time director on the first one, that was very safe. <laughs> He's one guy. Stay with Keanu Reeves, can't go wrong. Kill puppy, stay with Reeves. Kill guy, stay with Keanu. And then you try to expand out. And I think, hopefully, in the last nine years, I've gotten at least a little bit better as a director. And when we got to number four, thinking that we have this story idea that we'd like to explore friendship and fellowship and loyalty and consequence to the people you love, okay, well, in order to expand the world, I have to expand the perspective of who's seeing the world. It can't just be from John Wick's thing. So as a director, you decide, okay, well, I want to try multiple storylines, something that I haven't spent a lot of time doing. So, okay, we'll, we'll take it from the high table side. You'll take it from the continental side. So Ian McShane and Bill Skarsgård. Then I need two friends of John Wick's, like, you know, two friends with opposing on different sides of the line. So you have Hiroyuki Sonata and you have Donnie Yen. And then you have the new person intro to it, Shamir Anderson's character, the tracker. So now I've got, you know, five or six different perspectives or different viewpoints on the world. And if you are clever enough, you can see the John Wick world for these people, and that's kind of how you expand out. So they see it from different sides. John Wick never would have gone to the Marquis' office or his place. So if I had stayed with that, you wouldn't have seen those scenes. You know what I mean? You wouldn't have seen the conflict between Donnie and Shamir. You wouldn't have seen some of these other great scenes. So the way to expand the world was through other people's eyes. So in order to do that, you have to expand out characters, you have to expand out the world, you have to expand out the story. So we think, well, if we're going to do a bigger version of this, we need 
more of everything, more characters, more arcs, more, more perspectives. And as we started writing the characters, like you write a Kira and you're like, oh, she's a cool character. We should see that. And we, and it kind of becomes kind of fun. We, we put, you try to do your little Venn diagram of people we love and things we love. We love dogs. Okay, Tracker has a dog. Okay, we love, like I love the anime Akira, so we're gonna make a character Akira. You know, there's very little, it's not like we need a female action star. It's just, we have a very interesting character. It's gonna be Akira, it's gonna be this, and she's gonna be, she's gonna represent the opportunity to be a vengeful John Wick in the future. She's like driven by greed, driven by love. What's her whole thing? Let's explore it. And then things just naturally kind of grow. And that's how we put the, the John Wick 4 together. Yeah, well, structurally, the movie is so elegant. And I didn't even realize, I was shocked when I looked at my watch at the end of the movie at how long it was because it yeah. didn't feel long. It never felt like it was wearing me out or, you know, that it was wasted. Like there's not a wasted minute in it. And I'm curious, in terms of arriving at that structure and knowing how to balance the different characters and how to balance just the moments of action with the occasional moments of stillness and all that kind of stuff, how much of that is decided ahead of time and how much of it is discovered in editorial? Uh, I be really honest with you. Uh, zero planned out. Like, you hope. You, like... I. I love the 70s movie style. I love four-act operas. I love kabuki theater. The Asian cinema kind of breaks a lot of rules that we adhere to in a three-act version. Like, you can't introduce the bad guy in the third act, you introduce him in the first, you like, all these things. And we'd like to think John Wick breaks a lot of those rules, because we do go a little operatic, and we do a little bit more, you know, like halves. Like, in this act, you could really consider John Wick for a four-act structure, if you really looked at it. And I think, that gives us a little bit more leeway. Like you go watch Butch and Sundance, or you go watch like Leone's Good, the Bad, the Ugly, um, and it's a, uh, Lawrence of Arabia is a good example. Like that that movie kind of flies by to me, and it doesn't feel like you need an intermission in it. But like you know, Kurosawa's Yohimbo is a, is a longer film, but it, it's done in a way that you're with the character. Like you're all in on Toshiro Mifune, whatever his hijinks are, right? So I think. We kind of built it that way, and the script was thick. You know, it's like, I think 136 pages. We're like, oh, we're in trouble. It's a three-hour movie, and that scares people when it comes to action movies. Like you say, I'm going to do a three-hour action movie. Like, oh my god, this is going to be, and you put your head down. So you really don't know. But in in our heads, we knew what we wanted to show, and this constant decreasing circle of perfection that kept you follow him, you follow him, you follow him, you follow her, and it keeps spiraling down to come to one culmination, where like oh, like a good TV season would do, right? Your character introductions are the first couple episodes, then it spirals closer and closer as their centrific stories come together. And that's kind of what we saw in the movie, so every act brings us closer together. That was the plan. That sounds like a very, oh, that's a genius plan, but you don't know until you cut the whole thing together. I think our first cut was 345. And you're like, uh, and you you watch the 345 version, and it, it felt like it was a 345 version. We're like, oh, we're so screwed. Like, and you put your head down, and then you, you step back and you go, okay, what's, what are we really trying? And you go back to the basics of like, I want to tell this story. And it's not their story or his story, it's the story. And you use, you know, you, you stop looking at each individual scene or character or action. When you have 14 action sequences, you can't just edit that sequence and go, this is the right time. You'll never know if a five minute car scene or a 10 minute car scene is good till you watch the two and a half hour movie. So I guess what I'm saying, every time we try to cut scenes or move sequences around, the only way to truly know that you're doing the right thing is step back and take that half day. Like we'd edit all morning, but by 4 p.m. we're like, let's watch the movie. And my editorial staff probably hates me. We've watched it so many times. Because literally, even if we just took like 30 seconds out of something, I'd make everybody watch the movie again. Because that's the only way you know you have the right pace. 
the last thing you want to do is treat it as a bunch of parts. Trim two minutes out of here, put this here, and then go, oh, what do you mean? We cut 20 minutes out. This should feel like, that's where you feel that bump in movies all the time, that rock, that bump, like what, what? Because they were doing it in pieces and not seeing it as a whole. And if five minutes of the car chase have to come out or three of the scenes have to come out to make those three other action sequences feel fantastic and move, it's great. I thought I had nailed the arc so many times, that arc to triumph scene, and I'd watch it like, why is this feel so, like it's guys driving at 40 miles an hour, why does it feel so slow? And it wasn't until we cut the track in the right place and the phone call with Bill Skarsgård, and I did chump, chump a whole sequence out, and next thing you know, it felt like it flew by. And we're like, okay, that's the right rhythm. It's like, like not the piece of the song, it's the whole song that makes you rock out. And I think that was a big learning experience with me and my editorial team to, to constantly watch a two and a half hour movie and feel where the slow parts were and work on those parts. Yeah, I mean, that speaks to, I think, what I loved about the movie, which is that you know, it's a story that unfolds. I feel like so many action movies, they kind of set up the premise and then there's a bunch they of action. Get out of the way. Yeah, exactly. They want to get, and I loved that you were patient. Like, to me, I love that when you're rewarded as a viewer where you get an hour into a movie and a great new character comes in or a great new, whole new sequence, you know, or they move to a different country or something like that. Like, I, I really, really thought that was what was terrific. No, thank about you. The movie. But I, I think I'm probably from the same generation where. I, I, if you ask my editorial what the most cut thing was in the movie, it's walking shots. <laughs> I have John Wick walk into every set piece, or everybody's walking and opening doors because I love the visual of that long, beautiful shot. Um, so I, I'm more understanding with pacing. Again, I'll watch a Steve McQueen movie or I'll watch a Charles Bronson or point, you know, point blank with Lee Marvin who was the inspiration for the first John Wick. And just that one scene of Lee Marvin walking up the hallway for a minute, you're like, okay, well that's my tribute to it and Ian McShane walking down the Louvre. Right. I'm gonna live in this because I want you to see it all and I want you to know what this is really. It's a chess game between two men. And I think sometimes patient, again, it's rhythm, right? Music is more about the, the space in between notes than it is just the notes. The silences help define what it is. Just like in action, if it's, and there's been movies that just layer action, action, action. There's no time to take the break to see the rhythm. You need the space in between, and you need the characters in between, and you need the palettes in between. Um, compound that with what we call, and, and my stunt team, like the box. How do you wrap it? What's the wrapping? Like, yes, we have two guys fighting. Now I can have two guys fighting on a beach, which says one thing. I have two guys fighting with 40 waterfalls in the background. I have another fight going on in the middle of traffic. They're all very different, and it's the same moves. Like Keanu's just shooting guys. He's doing jujitsu, right? But I put that in the middle of traffic, and now you're like, oh my God, this is the greatest action sequence ever. But it's the same moves I did in the first one. It's just wrapped differently and with different music. So there's always ways, the multi-dimensional way to choreograph. Like you learn this very quickly when you choreograph dance. You know, it, it, it can be, your human body only moves so many ways, but the interpretation of the movement and how it relates to the environment, meaning the cars, the, the set pieces, the other stuntmen, completely changes it. And I think that's what we try to do with the martial arts. Like Keanu and my son, they, there's only so many moves we have, you know? And then you have to figure out how do we enhance, well, pretty lights, let's make everything look beautiful. Interesting set pieces, and what are the obstacles? The Jackie Chan of it all, like, you know, you have to fight going up a hill, you know? You have to fight holding the, the Ming vase. You have to, there's reflections everywhere. You don't know what's real, what's not. Or you have one bullet and you have 10 guys, like what's the problem to solve? And I think those are always the interesting things, not just with, with choreography, but with scenes. Like, what's, what, what's the scene really about? Like, it's two guys, like, Ian McShane and Bill Skarsgård, they're having a chess match. You know what I mean? Like, who's clever, who's witty, who can use each other's lines against each other? And if you nail those, that's just as fun as the action, because it'll pay off in the end, right? And it's the same thing with the dog or the pencil or the, you know, the guns. Like, you try to make it 
uh, it's storytelling that tries to pay off later. And I think that's the funnest part about it. And hopefully it comes out a little bit. Well, there's a couple of things you said in there that uh, gave me ideas for other questions. One of which, when you bring up choreographing dance, I was wondering how much musicals influence you because these John Wick movies, to me, you're sort of doing the same thing that Walter Hill did in The Warriors, where oh, you're absolutely. almost That's why we have the warrior reference in there. Yeah, you, you know, the same way that The Warriors is almost like a, it's almost like a Gene Kelly musical. So much. I, I, at some point, I've never met Walter Hill, but I'd love to ask him that too. That's a great question. I'd love to ask him too. Uh, to, to answer your question, sorry I didn't mean to interrupt, but was a hundred percent like I grew up in music. I'm, Everybody laughs when I say that, so I'll say it again. I love musicals. Like, give me a good Pixar musical or something. Give me a sing. Um, I love uh, Bob Fosse, one of my huge inspirations. Uh, you take Gene Kelly singing in the rain. Like, I love the old musicals, the old Sunday morning, like Sunday Parade or something like that. You watch Fred Astaire do his thing. Um, you're on the old giraffe crane. And if you watch the way we shoot, it's very simple. Like, no one ever went to Gene Kelly, like, oh my God, you've reinvented dance. I'm not doing anything. They. Uh, I just, they had Gene Kelly. A dolly shot with Gene Kelly is pretty simple, right? Okay, well our dolly shot with Keanu Reeves is pretty simple too. We didn't reinvent action or anything. We just spent all our money and time preparing Keanu to be our Gene Kelly. So when he's doing the, the Aikido or Aikijitsu or Jiu-Jitsu or Gunfu, whatever you want to call it, as he's coming through, we've just trained him, not in martial arts, but in dance. It looks like martial arts, but you forget everyone, you know, you see him punching the heavy bag and doing gymnastics. That's great, but if you can't remember five moves, it doesn't matter how hard you can punch or kick your flexibility. So a lot of stump teams will train their cast members in the moves or how to hit focus mitts or do something like that, which is a martial art mentality. But for us, it's dance. Uh, the first thing we'll train you in how to remember things. Like when's the last time you had to remember a phone number? Okay, well Keanu for that top shot had to remember a hundred moves, could miss. Every time it was a reset, like how would you like to run up those stairs and be the one stunt guy that forgets his two moves? Keanu had to go up and remember 40 moves. So the way we train people is very, very, very dance oriented. Well, that's interesting you pointing out that so much of the energy is in prep. And I was, because I was wondering watching this movie, you know, it just seemed to me, I don't know how you make a movie like this without spending $500 million. And uh, I'm curious how much of it is that you're putting more of your energy into the front end, into the pre-production? So much more. Like, again, Hollywood or all, I guess, every business, whatever it is, has a an industry standard, a methodology. You spend, like in Hollywood, 10 weeks of prep, 10 weeks shoot, 20 weeks or 25 weeks post. That's the, the minimal. And most line producers or studio execs will go, okay, you have X number of dollars for this, you have X for this, and that's the division. And we're like, we're coming up so much and I was the second unit director for so long, we're always going in and doing the reshoots or the additional or trying to fix something that was already done. And we're like, well, you shot for 90 days. How do you not have this? Like, where's the waste going? Where's the inefficiency? And you realize that in order to, to save budgets or cut down the budgets or say, <clears throat> the easiest thing to cut for most uh, lampers is the prep. It's soft money, like, yeah, we'll get it done, we'll figure it out, and then you always do it in post. Well, that's the most expensive way to do anything. If you don't spend money on a foundation, the house is gonna be a bit shaky. Now, if you don't mind building your house four times over, great, we do. So we'll take, and it's literally, we say this every time I work with a new line producer, I'm like, I know you've done this a thousand times, Wick is different, I'm gonna spend, and you're gonna hate me for it, and you're gonna argue, and we're gonna fight. I'm gonna spend twice as much as any action movie you've ever been on. I'm gonna act like, cameramen are usually brought in, the actual guys holding the camera that are the biggest part of the puzzle, right? Next to the cast and the sun guys. 
They were usually brought in less than a week before we roll cameras. Okay, so that means, guess how many fight rehearsals they've been to? Zero. Guess how many times they've rehearsed it with the actual? Zero. Guess how many times they've seen the set? Zero. And you wonder why you only get three or four setups a day or why cameras are all shaking hands and stuff like that? My guys, weeks out. When you have dogs and stuff like that, the camera guys are part of the stunt rehearsals. My wardrobe people, guess who's at the stunt rehearsals eight weeks out? So I'm gonna pay for all these people to be here early to go walk the sets, to go do the stuff. I'm gonna pay them the sixth day to come in on Saturdays to see the rehearsals and do the stuff. So when we do step on set, we're knocking out 30, 40, 50 setups and we're doing it right because everybody's got their shit together. They've anticipated problems. And not only that, they've come to me with more ideas. Like we saw that, but now that we've seen it and we've thought about it for the last two weeks, we got an idea. And then you know the, more, the amount of great ideas they get when you actually include people? It's, <laughs> you know, never bring an umbrella to a brainstorm, right? They get all these people and they've had time to think about it. That's not an industry standard. So that's why we spend so much money up front to get everybody on the same page. So when we get there, we can be, yes, we pride ourselves in John Wick, like, yes, I want my less than $150 million movie to look like a $300 million movie. Yeah, we want to punch above our weight. And smart people doing smart things usually yields a fairly good result, we found out. So we just try to do it a little bit more clever than most. Well, in terms of having those smart people, you know, you've got Dan Lauston here as a cinematographer who's incredible, one of the great mm -hmm. DPs. And you were mentioning earlier that, you know, <laughs> one of the things you want to do with these movies is make them more beautiful. And I mean... They, they, I've heard you. I've heard you reference Bertolucci, and these movies are like if Bertolucci and Storaro did action movies, which I Throwing love. Throw some one car Y. And yeah, we're, we're like right in there. The, right? The, You're in the pocket. The palette, the, you know, the, the, it's just they're they're gorgeous movies. And uh, so, what kind of conversations do you have with Dan in that prep time when you're bringing him in early? To talk it's about um, him? they're pretty involved. Like Dan comes in, like we're 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 months out three, four months out. I mean, but we're talking about it all the time. We're, we're talking about the movie before, or I'm still writing. Like, well, it's just, we're friends, so, and we have mutual interest, and I think he's an amazing photographer and cinematographer. So when I see something like, you know, you watch, you just, out of nowhere, watch In the Mood for Love, like Wong Kar Wai, and you're like, all right, check this out. And you'd be like, why does the red in this punch it? Why do you feel so sad when you're seeing that one scene where you're smoking the cigarette? And you're like, oh, and you, you're kind of always exploring these things. So when it comes time to it, like, well, let's do the waterfall scene, but let's go red to blue and we'll, we'll do this. When we're on Scott Atkins' character, we'll be red and we'll go to John Blue. So you're already trying to these, you know, theoretical ideas with color. And then I'll send them like the Grandmaster. And like, everybody knows how, how crazy I am about Caravaggio. Like if you had to pick a favorite painter, it's Caravaggio because of his use of blacks and all that stuff. I, I, I think Grandmaster is one of the most underrated films of all time. I know even if people love it, but go back and watch that movie for blacks. It is surreal how well he used in action, which is phenomenal. So like, okay, Dan and I will talk forever and we'll talk about black. Like how do you, in, like, okay, it's gonna be a black on black suit with black this, how do we, so, okay, we'll texture it differently, but here we're gonna fill the whole thing and make it gold. So when he finally sits on the steps, I want a little gold hint and we're gonna rim light him. We're gonna do a little bit of the Bob Richardson halo thing and we're gonna do like, you know, and Deacons is talking about color. So we, we try to have these open conversations about, in, in a project that allows us to try this stuff. You know, John Wick, we can have ninjas and motorcycles or I can have a sun flare for no reason. <laughs> like, is there a reason everything's red? Sure, <laughs> let's just try red today. And to experiment and grow creatively, to have somebody like Dan that, to, I, if you ever get a chance, you watch him on set and it's very filmic lighting. Like he's doing a lot of cut boards and he's doing flags and he's really, like if you watch Keanu, he's always in that half light to shape that and to get both eyes, then Clancy Brown with no eyes and then go back to Bill with the one eye. Like we're very, very, very big on like eye exposure and where to go with that. And just to have the room to explore that with people that like, that excites us. Like 
um, line in the movie, how you do anything is how you do everything. Like it's a mantra we have. So like we like going down the John Wick details, not just about guns or bullets or martial arts, but it's like, you know, old, the old, you know, 50s and 60s, how you bring out eye light, you know, Rita Hayward, you get in the, the eye, the, the light in the eye. So how do we do that Wick style? Well, it's a red light, it's a flare, it's a tube, you know, like, let's try to do our thing with it. And we go down the nerdy hole of lighting. And then I think just being allowed to have that freedom to do that and having people around you that want to go down that, that just, uh, I guess, the the whole minutia of lighting and get that deep into the detail is exciting. I mean, you can see I, I get excited because we're trying weird stuff. And when you see it on camera and you're in IMAX and you're in digital intermediate and you crank it up and you see it, you're just like, okay. I, I, you know, I hope you saw it in IMAX, but that, that makes you feel like, okay, you can at least tell we were trying to try things and push the highlights and the contrast and the colors and, and maybe try and see where we can go with it and how it makes you feel. And I think that's one of the things I, I think people like about John Wick is the look. And how does the production designer fit in with this? Is, is oh, Kevin Cavanaugh is great, but he, he's got a, again, it's shapes, right? You can only shadow the shape. So, you know, you have your, I need a face to light and I need a set. Kevin, like some people just build and then, you know, a lot of Hollywood is reactionary. You build the set, you write this thing, no one talks about it, then you go build the thing and then somebody got to go, oh, what are we lighting today? Like, again, I think that's a very flawed process if you're trying to raise the bar, if you're trying to do something subversive or new. You need everybody early. Like, Kevin and I, like, first of all, Kevin has a fantastic understanding of light structure and how spaces make you feel. Um, a, a lot of Japanese architecture is about the shadow. A lot of American architecture is about light. You know, one lights for darkness, one lights for, for light to expose to all windows. Whereas a, a Japanese little tea house will have all these little structures to help shadow, to help increase the effectiveness of that one ray of light, you know, minimalist approach. So to have somebody that understands that kind of stuff and is working from Dan Lass and myself right off the bat and designing the sets to enhance what we're trying to get. Like, you know, I dare you to find a production designer, you go up to it, like, I wanna do a dance club and I want 44 waterfalls and a million gallons of water a day and we're gonna have 300 dancers and we're gonna do Kung Fu, go. Kevin somehow processes blah, 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 with Chad and goes, yeah, and we found this old power plant in Berlin and we're gonna figure out a way to do water curtains and full waterfalls and it like, he just gets, he gets the surrealness of Wick and he gets how space can influence the scene and character. Well, and in terms of conceptualizing the 14 action sequences in a movie like this, how much of it is just you have kind of a storehouse in your mind of things you wanna do? How much of it is reacting to the locations you're finding, um, you know, I'm just I'm just fascinated by how you even come up with, you know, because as you were saying, I mean, it completely changes an action sequence whether you're setting it. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a really really good question, and it, it, it's an ever changing algorithm. Uh, I'll walk into a space. Um, sometimes simple is almost harder. Um, I guess it's it, it's a Methodology of thinking, right? Like we'll call it a zero to one. A zero to one is I hand you a blank piece of paper and go, here you go, buddy, uh, write a great idea, right? There's that, the people that can just imagine from scratch, just pinpoint, okay, we're gonna do that and that. It's gonna be a samurai movie books and they start writing the thing and oh, wow, like you got a, a Tarantino level scene there. Like, whoa, whoa, that's impressive. And then you've got, all right, I'm gonna give you a tree and I'll make it special. Like I hand you something and you figure, that's a one to 10 thing. Like, like, like you, someone's giving you the root of an idea. How do you make it flourish? Um, so sometimes, like, I'll walk to Sacre-Cœur, I'll see the steps. So somebody gave me a 300-step staircase. What can you do with it? All right, now, okay, that's, 
I'm pretty good at that stuff. That's why I've always been good at choreography or at least interested in it at that point. I've always been good as a second unit director coming up and trying to fix or enhance what I'm given, like just a natural instinct. So that's always fun. But then there's other times where like, you know, I'll be sitting down and it could be as simple as watching YouTube or I'll just be simply reading something and something will trigger an emotion. Like uh, honestly, my dad was a plumber. So I remember this one time, I was about 14 years old, I was working, and I saw one of these little water curtains in a, in a really nice house he was working on. And I'm like, I just remember sitting there just poking my finger and going, it would turn off, and then, you know, we'd run a flashlight through it, because we didn't have anybody, oh, light would do this weird refraction thing. And I, for whatever reason, 40 years later, it stays in my head, and I'm like, I'm gonna do a music club like that. <laughs> That's where it comes from. So I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a very visual imagination. So. I've done so many martial arts and I've gone all over the place and, and watched so many, I think, animes and martial arts and mangas and graphic novels that I, I think just a little hint of an inspiration triggers things and I can kind of think, well, I haven't seen that yet, but I'd love to put Kepuera with the jiu-jitsu, but I need it on the Jackie Chanism at all. Like, you know, like I said, up the hill, like what's it like to fight on ice? What's it like to fight underwater? What's it like to do both? Okay, I wanna put a horse in Brooklyn with three guys on motorcycles, one has a sword, one has a... Like I like creating conundrums and I don't know how to solve them. Whereas most people, I think, avoid the hard or avoid the obstacle. And I'm gonna go the Marcus Aurelius way of the obstacle is the way <laughs> and just kind of see if a little trick, I, I, and it was from Jackie actually, I learned it when I was talking to him a lot about choreography was give yourself as many problems as you can. Cause the real thing is not in the avoidance of problems, but it's gonna define you as a choreographer, how you solve that problem. And that's where the real genius and that's where the real fun of the subversion for the audience comes in. He'll handcuff himself to somebody, not knowing how to get out of it. And that's the genius of the choreography because what he does come up with is stuff you haven't seen before, but there's a reason you haven't seen it before. That's when you see all like Bob Fosse when he put jazz and ballet together. You hadn't seen it before. And he wasn't great at ballet, he wasn't great at dance, but he was fucking great at that mix. And that's why it stood so much, that's why it broke the mold in choreography. And we just try to do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I think you used that term gun fu earlier, and I think that's one of the cool things about these movies is that combination of gunplay and martial arts. And like, you know, I don't know anything about guns. So I look at the, I watch these movies and I don't know if these guns he's using, I don't know if this is realistic. I don't know if these are, you know, I, I, I have no idea. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of curious about that whole world. You know, there's so many people you collaborate with that I'm curious about your collaboration. And I'm like, like I'm, I'm curious about your collaboration with the prop people or the armorers, mm -hmm. like the people who are giving, you know, creating or providing those it's guns. It's very fun mm -hmm. to do all that. Uh, but some of it is based, to your question, some of it is based in reality. Like, we've exposed ourselves to, it's called Three Gun. It's a it's a, a tactical uh, firearm competitions. It's like relay races or obstacle courses for, for marksmanship. And they do a pistol, a rifle, uh, a rifle and a shotgun. And they have time courses and relays and obstacles. It's not just guys sitting there shooting, it's, it's maneuverability, it, it's speed, it's strong, it's reloading, it's all incorporated in it. So you take that with all the martial art background we have and all the stunt training and parkour and free running training we have and the driving training we have, and you just kind of put it in the soup and you mix it around. But it does expose you to, like Taryn Butler is a firearms trainer. Steve Wills from LA SWAT is a firearms trainer. We have Dave Camarillo, one of the best jujitsu guys on the planet. Um, we have some of the best stunt teams and all that. So you get these different perspectives and you kind of take what makes them so thematically special, and we try to pull from each thing like that. But it, it, it's quite of a journey. But then you have to go over to the poor prop guy and go, okay, and we know you've never seen this before, but we need the tactical homahawk like this, and we're gonna do this, and we're gonna do a special cane that pulls the sword. It gets pretty fun um, and interesting, and the looks we get, like, I mean, I'm sure if I sat right here and said, I have a great movie for you, it's, no one's gonna talk for the first 40 minutes, 
but it's an action movie, rest assured. Uh, I'm gonna kill 80 people, and it starts with, uh, we're gonna stomp on a puppy. Like, uh, you wonder why we didn't get a lot of bites on that one. But okay, we're gonna do a second one. I'm gonna make it like a rock opera. I'm gonna make this whole live concert in Caracalabas outside of the Coliseum. And we're gonna do a room full of mirrors. And then I'm gonna do ninjas on motorcycles, and then I'm gonna have a horse chase through Brooklyn with this, and we're gonna have this guy, and I'm gonna have a horse kill a guy. Like, they don't read well on paper. <laughs> so you kind of have to get people behind the ideas and try to execute them before you get shot down. Well, I guess to wrap up, you know, I want to go back to something you were saying. Uh, you're, you're talking about all the kind of opportunities that these movies give you in terms of that, you know, you don't have to be realistic and you can do all these very stylistic things. And I'm kind of curious if that's why, you know, a lot of directors who had a hit like you had with John Wick, they would, you know, maybe do a different kind of movie, whatever. You know, you've stuck very, you've pretty much stuck to this series and i'm curious if it's because within this framework you kind of get to do every kind of movie you want to make in one i think that's part of it i mean you, i mean you have to really look at yourself and you go deep down right like why am i and to be honest you, you probably look back over the reviews or, or the um the uh, interviews back then it's like john wick it's my last one i'm never did john wick I'm ne that's it i'm done good i'm glad the third one was good but i'm never doing another one i i'm attached to a lot of fortunately to a lot of really cool projects that I'd like to try my hand at. Um, but I also come from a very, like I guess, athletic or, or a, a, a very meticulous background, my parents and the people I've come up with and through stunts, where training matters, like repetition matters, like trying to expand and be better matters. Like you, in some points your life kind of depends on it. Um, and that's how you get better, right? You gotta keep trying and you have to go beyond your comfort zone every time. And each time I was looking, there's a lot of lateral moves throughout or offers through my career where I thought, okay, after John Wick, this would be a good direction to go. This, but then to do a John Wick two offered a way bigger challenge, right? And you're like, okay. And then after the second one, you're like, okay, am I just playing it safe, or am I really trying to challenge myself? And that, and you don't know, right? You're like, am I just doing the same thing over and over again, or am I really trying? Like, why shouldn't I? I should take a drink. Like, look at Spielberg's career. You know, you go from Jaws to E.T. to 1941, which is whoa, and you end up with Schindler's List and you know, all the, the other movies that he's done since, and you're like, wow, that, like, that is a brave director. Like, he's probably the bravest director I've ever seen. That, that kind of diversity is insane. Um, I just felt that the John Wicks for me to do my own thing, to constantly challenge myself for that zero to one thinking. Like, I don't, I don't have anybody writing the script. I have to come up with the story. And then Karen and I just workshop it till we get it, then we bring in our writers to help fill in the gaps. That, the, the limitless possibilities of action and set pieces, um, very challenging and I felt like, look, to, to really go to be a better director, I, I think it's best if I stay in this world because I have a great collaborative partner. I have a team and I just, I want to see what it was like without, without limits and without somebody else's IP or someone else telling me how, I, how it should be or he can fly, he can't fly. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I find, I love superhero movies. I, I watch them. I just, I don't think that's where my strength is. I, I didn't think that offered me the opportunity to really expand. But again, now feeling like John Wick has allowed me to grow as a director, and I think it's challenged me enough to, to try other things. I feel fairly confident now that I have something to add to another franchise or something like that. I, I don't know if it would ever feel as good as, you know, what you feel. I remember the first day on this one, sitting down and going, John Wick 4, and a big fucking question mark. And then just writing these ideas down of, like, one of the, you know, waterfall club, the, the fight in traffic, the, 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 
you know, I had these other underwater spear gun fight from Thunderbolt. I remember that was an original idea. And don't forget our doll. And just you start, I remember that day. And then cut to two weeks ago where I'm sitting in the Chinese man doing a quality check going, yeah, it went from a blank piece of paper to that. And again, you, you feel like you've accomplished something. I think that's a, a magical kind of experience that I don't think many people get to feel. So I'm fortunate to have that. And I wouldn't have had that doing someone else's work. So I think that's why I stayed in our own franchise. And then people kept telling me, you'll never do more than one good one. You'll never do two. No franchise does three. Like, it was almost like a slap. And after you guys got lucky with three, it's good. I mean, you kind of, kind of looked at it, it's like, lucky. And it's almost like they threw me like, we'll show you. And, you know, ego gets in there like, well, we're going to do one more. <laughs> well, I think this is the best of the series. So thank I you. That's really very nice of you. I appreciate saying. you taking the time to talk to me about this. No, no. I, I love all you guys' work. I, I love your, I love reading all your stuff. So I'm a big fan of you guys as well. Mm -hmm.